I think it's really cool that biking is something that can grow along with us through our life cycles. And I think it's important for all of us to remember that, that things are just going to change. That doesn't mean that it's bad. It just means that we get to experience life on two wheels in different ways as we age. Hey, what's up? This is Kat. Welcome to the Joyride. Hey there, Joyriders. Welcome to episode 10 of the Joyride podcast, a celebration of women on bikes. If you're listening to this show on the day it's released, Friday, April 29th, 2016, I invite you to join me today, Friday, April 29th, for a free Intro to Bike Overnights online workshop at 4 p.m. Pacific time. We'll talk about different kinds of overnights, how to pick a destination, You'll get a free packing list and a preview of my new Bike Camping 101 course. Go to bit.ly forward slash intro bike overnight. That's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash intro bike overnight to register for today's workshop. Or you can just hop right on over to bikecamping101.com to see what I'm cooking up. Okay. Listen, Joy Riders, I am all jazzed up because this week I get to chat with Leah Benson. Leah is the owner of Gladys Bikes, an excellent women-focused shop here in Portland. On today's show, we talk about bike camping, the lady business of the bike industry, and of course, snacks. You'll find any links that we discuss in the show notes, which is at girleatsbike.com forward slash joyride zero one zero. All right, let's get into it. Leah Benson, welcome to the Joyride. Thank you. Good to be here. Yay, I'm so excited you took the time out of your schedule. (laughs) I'm here. I'm ready. I know. I appreciate it. Uh, Do you remember your first bike? I so wish that I did. I I remember it because people have told me about it and I've seen pictures, but I have no actual memory of it. I know that it was a hand-me-down from my older brother and it was dark blue and it had spokey dokes in it. You know, the things that you put in your spokes that make a lot of noise. And they kind of went up and down as the wheel. Yeah, so I know that was my very first bike and it had training wheels and I loved it. But um, I wish that my little brain, you know, was working harder at that time because I have no recollection of riding it. So tell me about the first one that that you do remember. Oh, the first one I do remember was um, the the first bike I ever got that was mine, which was a Huffy Dream Girl, which um, if you're familiar, so the Schwinn has a model called the Fair Lady, which has a big banana seat and it's a step through and it's like the ultimate like little girl's bike frame. And so this was the Huffy knockoff version because, I don't know, it was cheaper. But it was still just as cool. It was gray with hot pink accents. And I thought it was the greatest bike of all time. I had this ridiculously large white basket on it that I used to try to, like, get my cat to go in and stuff. But it never worked. And it was really funny, actually, riding it around because I had this picture in my head of that's what, like, my first bike should look like. But I grew up in the middle of nowhere on gravel roads. And riding this, like, banana seat cruiser city bike didn't really work so well for it. So I didn't get to go too far on it, but it made me feel really cool. It's fantastic. Um, so where where did you grow up? Like, where did you learn how to ride a bike? I grew up in northern Wisconsin in a tiny town up there. So I learned to ride a bike on uh, rural back roads. 
in the middle of absolutely nowhere. So it was it was a learning curve for me when I moved to a city and had to get used to riding next to cars and other people and buildings. <laughs> so did you did you like continuously ride your ride through that period of time or was there like a chunk of time that you were driving or et cetera? Um, I, I mean, I rode my bike primarily as recreation back then. I drove just about everywhere to get to my nearest friend's house. It was like 24 miles, I think. So I, I wasn't quite that cool as a kid that I was willing to bike everywhere. Um, but I did enjoy doing it sometimes on the weekends and stuff. It was a good way to, to get to my friend's houses when my parents couldn't do it or didn't want to. And when I got my first job working at an ice cream shack in a neighboring small town called The Dairy Maid, I used to ride my bike over like the back gravel roads to get there, which made me feel really cool and independent because I didn't have my driver's license yet. <laughs> so you grew up in northern Wisconsin, and then did you fast forward to Portland from there, or like walk me through a little bit of that? Yeah, I I was everywhere in between there. I moved to Madison, Wisconsin, it's a college town for that. And then um, was in Latin America for two years. And then after that, moved to Philadelphia. Um, and then after that, came to Portland seven and a half years ago now, I guess. You uh, had a recreational bike um, sort of like through that time. And you learned to ride in the city in Madison and then in Philly. Or were you not riding then? Um. When I was in Philly, I was definitely riding a lot, which is like polar opposite from riding in Portland. At least it was then. I know that their bike infrastructure has really been improving over the past several years. But when I was there, there just wasn't much of anything. So I think I got a little bit more aggressive in my riding style in terms of trying to figure out how to share the road with cars when they didn't want me there. Um, and in that way, I don't know, I thought it was really fun at the time. I don't think I would find it to be a fun game at this point in my life. I'd find it more dangerous. But... But then I thought it was cool because I had to like weave in and out of cars. And, you know, that made me feel, I don't know, like a biker yeah. <laughs> that I'd seen in the movies. <laughs> oh, man. So you own Gladys Bikes. Like, what were you doing before, like right before you made that jump? Yeah, immediately before I was working at a nonprofit organization called Oregon Tradeswoman that does education and advocacy work for women in building construction trades. And I was doing community organizing type work there and loving it, but ultimately feeling like it was time for me to transition out of the nonprofit sphere and um, go out on my own and try something different. So why a bike shop? Yeah. Um, I think it was more just fortuitous timing in that at the same time that I was considering a big life change, I ended up having really unfortunate conversations with too many women in my life. Um, talking about the things that kept them off of bikes and whether it be things not fitting them right or just not feeling like it was a sport for them um, to not feeling like they could walk into a bike shop comfortably and be served in a way that made sense for them, which that piece of it was something that I thought like, well, there's a problem I can tackle. And um, the conversation just continued to happen over and over and over again. And it became clear to me like, yeah, this is just what I'm going to do. It seems to be something that a lot of folks are talking about, and I've got the time and energy to get it done. I know that there are a couple other, like, really women-specific shops throughout the country, but I think that uh, your shop is kind of on this pedestal of kind of folks who are doing it right. 
um, <laughs> because I, you know, I, you know, I, I really mean that. And, um, it, it's the, the market is showing how this is shifting and, uh, women are ready and willing to vote with their dollars. They're ready and willing to spend money and they're definitely going to vote with their dollars as to like where they go and get good service and, um, feel like they're being taken care of and not being talked down to or taken advantage of. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I think you're right with that. And I think more and more shops are wising up to the fact that, um, you know, people are, we're businesses. And so think in terms of what's going to affect the bottom line. And um, even if people didn't buy into, it sounds so weird to say buy into women, but like to really, you know, accept and respect women as a customer base before they do now. I think that they're seeing the financial, um, the financial viability that comes along with having women included in your market. What do you wish that folks knew when they are not a bike owner and they're ready to walk into your shop kind of the first time your prospective customer? Yeah. I think the big thing I would always want to tell people is there's absolutely no right way to do anything. There's no one right bike for any job no one component that's going to be cooler than any other because a lot of people I think get intimidated when they're walking into a place that they don't know enough or they're going to somehow make the wrong decision or um, their bike is not going to seem cool enough or something and um, it'd be great to just kind of blow those misconceptions out of the water but um, even more than that I, I think it would help so that when they walk in they have a bit of an open mind they can actually just choose what's comfortable to them and what seems to work for the job instead of this, this preset of idea of what it's supposed to look like that they're coming in for. So it's a beautiful day here in Portland, Oregon. It is absolutely gorgeous. It's like, it's gorgeous. Yeah. I've been waiting. You got out for a ride today, right? Just to work. I rode my bike to work. It's enough. Yeah. So is that like your normal, your normal kind of like riding is that the kind of riding you're you obviously do that every day because you're commuting yeah um do you get out for a lot of rides other than that increasingly i think um i'm increasingly trying to like defy the laws of small business ownership and actually have a bit of a life outside of the shop but it was funny the moment that i opened up a bike shop i suddenly found that i had less and less time to actually ride a bike Uh, um but all of that's shifting as I get a little bit more established. And especially in the summer, I'm able to escape to go camping and go on small tours and stuff and just go out and adventure, which is the main way that I love to ride bikes. That is like my favorite, like my absolute favorite thing. I just, I think it's so much fun. Where do you like to go? Um, I think different places every time. The places that I continue to go back to are... For overnight trips, I think Oxbow is just one of the nicest and easiest overnight trips that you can do. And Shampooey is nice as well. Um, Stub Stewart is the best possible first bike trip for anyone that's curious about doing it because of its accessibility. So that one's nice just if I feel like, honestly, leaving after work, going camping, and being able to bike home before the shop opens the next day, that's, it's a pretty good option. Do you take the max when you go to Stub Stewart or do you do, you do the hills? It depends. I think take the max when time is a consideration. Um, but I do the hills. I've done it a couple of times that there's an alternate route um, that's a, a gravel route to get there. Um, are you familiar with the Crown Zellerbach Trail? 
Um, I am familiar with the name of it. Is yeah. It, does this go up north around the hills? Yes, it does. It okay. goes north, and so it's primarily on gravel, and you end up going through Vernonia and then heading south back into Stub Stewart, and it's gorgeous. And something about gravel just makes everything feel more adventurous and remote. Uh, I'm so interested in that. I'm up in St. John's, and so mm-hmm. it's, like, ridiculous to me to travel south to go north again. So I'm like, totally. I, need to, I need to do that. But uh, how, is the, how is the gravel? I'm a little concerned about biting off more than I can chew. Yeah, there. it's more challenging. Yeah. I think there's some, you know, loose sandy sections, some packed gravel, some, like, big stones. In general, um, I found it enjoyable, but it's definitely more challenging. I have to put that on the list. If you were able to take a vacation, does cycling play any kind of a role in that? Or is it you're doing the overnight things or? Totally. Yeah. Like for instance, this summer I'm taking a week and a half off to go ride Ragbri, which is the largest organized bike ride in the country. Um, It's like 30,000 people riding across Iowa. Yeah. That sounds fantastic. So why, why that? Like what, what got you, like what made that decision? Um, my dad really wanted to do it. <laughs> oh, that's cool. <laughs> so my husband and I are doing it with our dads. <laughs> oh my God, it's something so that had never been like the thing I wanted to do, but I like riding with my family. <laughs> where in the world, if you could like really ride anywhere and, you know, there were, there were no limits to that, where in the world would you want to go? Would I want to go? So I, um, I lived in Central America for uh, a little while. And um, one thing that I regret at this point in my life is that I never got to explore that area by bike. I had um, my best friend down there was Dutch, and he rode this ridiculous Dutch bike everywhere. I don't know where he found it. Like, no one else had one. And we, so we would ride around town on it. But I never really got out of town. So I think I would love to explore Central America, specifically Guatemala, by bike. Yeah, because I think one of the things that I really love about bikes is that it allows you to appreciate um, – Appreciate your surroundings from a different perspective. So I got to know that very specific part of the world in very particular ways. And it'd be nice to kind of relive it and notice new things while on a bike. Do you imagine that you would do like the, the camping thing? Um, it's, uh, it's, it's different. Have you spent much time in that area? I've never been to Central America yeah. or South America. I should say, I haven't been there for a bit. So my knowledge is dated, but it's not the type of thing that I would want to do alone. Like as part of like a large group excursion, totally. But it, uh, the camping culture is just a little bit different. Yeah, I would I would make. I'm making some assumptions that that would be true. Maybe sort of an interesting segue, which is, uh, I know that you like really live and breathe bikes. I know that you're an advocate. How safe do you feel? And that could be personal safety. Um, that could be traffic. But how safe do you feel when you ride? Knock on wood, I've been incredibly lucky and have never had any type of accident on my bike at all, whether it be with another cyclist or a car or just a curb. So um, I, I feel incredibly safe within my bubble right now. I think a lot of that is that I'm a really cautious person. When I first moved to Portland, um, I, I remember um, there were many times where I would get off my bike and walk if I didn't feel safe at a, at a given point and like just get on the sidewalk. And... I think I really gave myself time to explore and feel comfortable so that when I'm on my bike now, I'm, I'm completely right there. The times when I start to feel less safe are um, when I get out of the city a little bit more. I went on um, just a short little bike tour last summer and realized that pretty quickly when you get out of the area, things change and um, the drivers aren't quite so used to you. Outside of the city, it really does start to change pretty quickly. 
Um, Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. When drivers aren't used to seeing bikes, I, I tend to um, think that all people are good until they give me a reason not to believe so. And so I, I genuinely don't believe that cars are trying to hit me. But if you're not used to looking for bikers, and if it's just not part of your daily reality, I understand that it can be a little bit more difficult. I drive a car sometimes, and I'm incredibly cautious, but understand, like, okay, it can be hard. And so I think I have a reasonable amount of fear, understanding that even the best driver, under the best of circumstances, you know, might not see me, and that scares me sometimes. Yeah, it's true. The amount of distraction that we have kind of in our hands yeah. or even like knocking over a cup of coffee onto the floor or something like that. Yeah. Or just in our heads, like, you know, people, um, I don't know, just start thinking sometimes and become just a little bit less aware of their surroundings. So I don't want to dwell on safety too much because I, I do think it is a barrier with women who are not comfortable from riding. I do think that that's a barrier and I, and I don't want to continue to perpetuate that. But there, there is some reality there, I think. And I'm wondering yeah. about like how you feel about your personal safety. In general, I feel pretty safe going places. However, I, I imagine you um, also read about the sexual assault that occurred on the Springwater Corridor um, last week, which was just really jarring to hear. Because um, a few years ago, my partner um, lived about seven miles away from me. And to get to his house, I would have to ride down the Esplanade, and um, I would go up and back there morning and night um, to go see him. And at night, I always felt just vaguely scared and sketched out. Like, I always felt like I had to pedal really hard. And he didn't really understand that feeling. And I was like, oh, it's just, you always have in the back of your mind, well, something could go wrong. And so when you hear about things happening, like what happened on the Springwater Corridor, it's just a reminder, like, oh, as a woman, I just do have to be more and more concerned with my safety, um, which is incredibly unfortunate because there's a reason why there's that voice in the back of my head saying, like, Leah, pedal fast, or, like, Leah, something might um, might happen that's wrong. The thing is that um, I don't think that that's specific to bikes, um, unfortunately. It's um, just life in general. I think um, it's not safe to be a woman walking around alone at night, a lot of times, especially in urban areas. And yeah, it sucks. I don't, I don't have anything too poignant to say beyond that. It's just unfortunate that we're at this point in society and we've progressed so far in terms of how women um, are given equal opportunities in different ways and the ways that feminism is really pushing us to be, um, have access to, to different parts of life, but still we have to feel uncomfortable when we're out alone on the street. Yeah, right on. I um yeah, I have actually like rethought doing a 40-mile loop because of that even in daylight. And I I think that I came really close to getting mugged on the Esplanade at like 11:30 on a Sunday morning. And uh mm -hmm. that was that made me just kind of be like, okay, pay attention. Um cuz even as <laughs> even as someone like myself who is uh, generally, like, gender nonconforming, I'm usually not someone who yeah. you might, you know, might not be the first person that someone would think to victimize, but I was, so I've been kind of walking in that privilege and that sort of, like, safety privilege yeah. for a while, but still really dis disconcerting. Yeah, I imagine that's interesting um, in terms of how it affects how people view you or how how you view how people feel you. I don't know, to get incredibly meta about it. It's weird. 
so what do you what do you consider an every ride carry and actually wait before we go there uh how far is your commute like from home to the shop i've got the best commute cat it's it's um two and a half miles i think oh lucky duck i know it's like let me brag for a minute (laughs) i get to take bikeways the entire way and i love it because i am close enough that it's not like a bear of a ride but far enough that i don't live next door to where I work and I have some separation. So I just feel super lucky every time I'm going to work based on the location, but even more than that, based on the infrastructure of the city and that I can have such an easy ride and not have to worry about like running into traffic. And it's a different, you're in a different neighborhood then too, right? So you get to have like a totally different little living experience than your work experience. Totally. That's cool. So considering uh, this town, considering that you own a bike shop and that this town is rife with bike shops and you only have like a two mile commute, what do you consider an every ride carry? Snacks, I think are my most important thing. Um, Both because um, it's nice to make sure that I have enough energy when I'm on the bike, but that I'm also happy with wherever I'm getting. Um, Let's see, every ride carry. Other than that, sometimes I I bring a flat kit. I have this conversation with folks a lot about what they should keep in their bags on their bikes. And some people need to have tools and they need to have a patch kit and they need to have a spare tube and all of these things so that they can do maintenance on their bike. And sometimes I have all of that, but sometimes I just have a $20 bill in my pocket too, because no matter what, it doesn't matter if you have the knowledge to do it or not. Sometimes it's just going to be more convenient to take it to a shop and have it done. So I think my... My, like, toolkit changes a little bit from time to time. Right on. Um, so did you know that I was going to ask you about snacks? No. I just it, – it's just such an everyday part of what I do. <laughs> I love um, I love the Snack Parade, your Snack Parade podcast, and I look forward to more episodes. Do you have anything that's in the works for that? Oh, gosh, I wish. I wish. Natalie, um, Natalie Ramsland, the owner of Sweet Pea Bikes, and I – and um, we're really excited about doing the Snack Parade podcast for a while. But fortunately, like life has become so busy in both of our businesses that it's hard to sneak in time. So we have to be a little bit more deliberate about it. But hopefully we have we have a really rousing episode in our heads about casseroles. <laughs> That's fun. Yeah, the podcast is entirely just the two of us talking about things we find amusing. We're like, let's record it. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I love that. I love that banter. You two have a, have a good banter with each other. Um, so what is, cause this is a, this has been my favorite question to ask folks lately. Um, like favorite bike snacks. This could be while you're mid ride. This could be after you arrive. What do you like? Um, peanut butter instead of having like pockets of gel as some cyclists will. Um, a lot of grocery stores sell single serving packages of peanut butter. And that's my favorite thing to ride with cause it's protein. And it's, you know, salt. It's got enough to get me going, but it tastes natural. Um, so I love to carry peanut butter. <laughs> That's fun. I never thought of that as an option. <laughs> yeah, well, next time you're at New Seasons, get some of that Justin, especially the hazelnut butter, that, that chocolate hazelnut butter that comes in little packs. It's perfect, especially for a tour. I'm going to, I am totally going to take you up on that. I, <laughs> I will report back and let you know what I choose and how I liked it. Um, what is the what's the most fun thing you've carried on your bike? And, it, and maybe it's a packet of hazelnut chocolate butter. 
not butter. <laughs> what's the most what's the <laughs> most fun thing you've carried by bike? So I, I, honestly, the most fun thing is when um, Gladys bikes. We we were open for about six months in one location and moved to a different location and moved everything by bike. And so I had this huge trailer on my bike and I got to haul the entire tool bench. Um, from Gladys Bikes, which is huge and incredibly heavy and made me feel like such a badass. And that was definitely the coolest thing that I've ever hauled around. That's fun. Yeah, it was great. Um, it's nice to feel strong. That's, that's so cool. I'm going to get a trailer to bring my dog around and I think that'll be fun. Yeah. So I've got, I've got two more things. I don't want to take up too much more of your time because you are a, a busy, busy woman. Like hide. <laughs> um, so you, one of the things that I think your shop is really known for is this magnificent saddle library. And you have a background which makes you kind of maybe uniquely uh, suited to discuss saddles. Can you tell me a little bit about like what was the the genesis of the saddle library? How did you get the idea? And just tell me a little bit about your background and etc. Yeah. Um, so let's see, my background as it relates to it is that in college, I studied sex research, specifically um, female sexual anatomy and orgasms. And so having that type of academic background, I think has made me really comfortable talking about that region of our bodies in a way that I'm not embarrassed. And I also understand it's a really important part of who we are. Um, and the way that saddles kind of came into being part of the shop was that as I was having conversations um, about people, as I was developing the shop, I had a lot of focus groups and conversations and talking about what prevented people from biking at all or from biking more. And more like so many people just continued to mention that having an uncomfortable saddle kept them off the bike, which I thought was ridiculous because it's such a small thing that we can affect. But realistically, I think a lot of shops aren't set up to comfortately have those conversations with people because to, to adequately um, um, talk about people's saddle needs, you need to be able to talk about their bodies um, because, you, I don't know, it's just important to recognize that people have specific pains and needs. And so um, the way that we have the saddle library set up, it's very personal, individualized conversations to get at what's causing people discomfort in their own bodies. Yeah. So it is a... Like the, uh, the, the deal itself is that you get a library card, you pay a li for a library card and you get to test out how many different saddles do you have there? Generally? Over 50, over 50 at this point, over 50. So you can like, you take one of these out and I'm, and I'm a, uh, have been a saddle library customer. So, um, <laughs> you get, you, you get a card and you get to take one of these saddles out and test it out, ride around on it for a week and then bring it back. And if you like it, uh, awesome. You can buy it. And if you don't, you get, can try another one and you can kind of keep doing that forever yep. if you wanted to. Yep. Forever. If you want to, yeah. <laughs> although at a certain point we'll probably stop you and say, you know, it seems like there might be other things going on. And that's the point at which we talk like, maybe we should look at the fit of the bike or maybe we should look at what you're wearing while you're riding just right because you know, we want to give people the opportunity to try as many saddles as they want, but we also want to make sure that it's not futile. Right. And nobody wants to go in and change out a saddle every week. No. That's not convenient. No, some people seem to really enjoy the process and the education of trying what's out there. But for a lot of people, it can be really frustrating if it goes on for weeks and weeks and weeks. So I just think, I just think that's the coolest thing. Um, 
do you have any any tips for like somebody who is not in a privileged place uh, that has a saddle library, how they can maybe try to negotiate something like that with a, with a shop that doesn't have something? Any thoughts yeah. on that? Um, so I've actually just gone through this process with my mom who lives in rural northern Wisconsin, and so they don't really have a lot of shops that do this. Um, so what I suggested for her was to talk to shops and see if they had any demos accessible to them that they could try, because a lot of times you're able to get them for extremely cheap or even free from dealers. Um, but if they don't and they can't make them accessible, the big thing I would say is, you know, respect that sometimes it's hard for small shops to be able to provide this service, but you should be able to find some shop in the area that has some type of fitting program. And any shop that has some type of fitting program will usually have demo saddles along with it. I think what we really do here that makes it unique is we make it a very well-structured program such that people can walk in, they know exactly how to talk to us about their saddle needs, they know exactly how we'll provide it for them, and it's just nice and easy and straightforward. A lot of shops will do something similar, but you have to know to ask for it, to go and be like, do you have any demo saddles I can try? And it might be a little bit less organized or just done in a different way, but a lot of shops will still have it. And you, you just have to be empowered enough to know that you're, that, that comfort is important to, to maybe be uncomfortable and ask those questions. Yeah, I think I think that that is like part of the the trick, you know, because we think I'm not comfortable and there must be something wrong with me or I'm not doing this right. And sometimes it's the fit of the bike, but often it's because um, the saddle just doesn't work for your anatomy. Totally. Um, You have a really great uh, one of your your podcast episodes with Natalie is, is really fantastic. A really great conversation about that. And I'm going to put a link to it in the show notes. Um, (laughs) highly recommend anybody, um, anybody listen to it. If you're kind of, if you're shopping or if you're just uncomfortable, et cetera. Um, cool. So, uh, I'm going to ask you two more questions. I promise the last one's going to be up to you though. So you have a road curious club. You can tell me a little bit, tell me a little bit about that. So the Road Curious Club is based off something that we've done a couple of years now called the Cross Curious Club, um, which is all just about um, encouraging people to explore different types of cycling. So the Road Curious Club is specifically for people who are interested in road riding and road racing. Um, Because sometimes it can be kind of scary to get into new things. Scary is maybe the wrong word. A little bit intimidating because it involves specific lingo, specific types of gear, and specific ways of riding. And while there are a lot of good rides around town, group rides, it's kind of expected that you know some of the basic rules about like how you ride in a group, you know, how you signal, what pace you're supposed to be at and such. And so this is for people who are interested in doing that type of riding, but want a structured program to learn how to do it. Um, For a lot of the people, it means that they're interested in racing, which is awesome. We have a really great community of women bike racers in Oregon, but people are constantly trying to grow it. Because the more women that are racing, the more people can race. Because a lot of times there will be races where there simply aren't enough women to actually have a women's field in the race. And that sucks, especially for the people who are really committed to what they're doing and really fast and are just looking for an opportunity to compete. So part of the goal of the Road Curious Club is to get more women involved in that type of racing. Fantastic. Um, so last question is, what have I not asked you about that you that you want to discuss? Anything else that that comes to mind. I know we've kind of had a weird wide range of things here, but (laughs) anything else that stands out to you that you're like, Ooh, what do you think? Hmm. That we should talk about. Well, I guess one thing that I always like to talk with people about 
is, as it relates to bike, just recognizing that um, your relationship to bikes is not a static thing. Um, and I think that's important for all of us to remember that our bodies are changing over time and also our interests are. And, and that it's important to allow your biking habits to grow with you. Sometimes that means getting new bikes. Sometimes that means adapting the fit of your bike so that it works. And um, I just think it's really important because a lot of folks will come in here um, frustrated because they're not able to ride like they used to. Or the position that had always been comfortable to them now just is painful. Or the saddle that used to work no longer does. And um, I think it's really cool that biking is something that can grow along with us through our life cycles. And I think it's important for all of us to remember that, that things are just going to change. That doesn't mean that it's bad. It just means that we get to experience life on two wheels in different ways as we age. Fantastic. Um, I am so appreciative of your time today. You too. This has been really fun. Yay, cool. Um, everybody, Leah Benson. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Well, there you have it, folks. Leah is indeed a busy gal, and I sure appreciate her time. Next week on the show, we'll have the metalsmithing, jewelry-making, trail-grinding nomad herself, Casey Shepard from Case of the Nomads. You do not want to miss it. She puts the joy in Joyride. Don't forget, if you're listening to this show on its release date, Friday, April 29, 2016, Hop on over to bit.ly forward slash intro bike overnight. That's bit.ly forward slash intro bike overnight to jump on to my free intro to bike overnights online workshop at 4 p.m. Pacific. Or if you miss that, you can head right on over to bikecamping101.com to dig into what I've been cooking up. Listen, Joyriders. If you like what you heard, I sure would love it if you'd leave a rating or a review in iTunes or Stitcher. I also invite you to subscribe to the show in iTunes or Stitcher. And of course, sharing is caring about your sisters in the bike world. If someone that you know you think they need to hear this, please send them a link. Tell them I said hi. Um, if you know someone who you think would be a good fit for the show, go on over to bit.ly forward slash joyride guest and connect with me there. That's B-I-T dot L-Y joyride guest. I sure would love to hear from you. Be sure to follow me at Girl Eats Bike on Facebook, on the Twitter, on the Instagram, even Pinterest, where today I was curating my new board called Bike Snacks. I mean, you know how I do. Well, I sure appreciate your time and your attention, friends. Remember, Life shrinks or expands in proportion to one's courage. Take care of yourselves and each other. Keep moving forward, and until next time, I hope you enjoy the ride. Good. I'm doing a Skype interview. You can say hi. Is that your dad?